everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ambassadors Forum Radio Show here on True Talk 800 AM KPDQ. I'm your host, Roy Swart, father of seven, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, and most importantly, bought and paid for, bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to better understand and defend your faith by thinking biblically, the same way Jesus did. I wanted to do a second episode this week from the question and answer that we did at a local Christian high school a few weeks ago. It was for their Bible class. They got to an apologetics module, and what the teacher did is they collected all the questions that the students had and compiled them and then we came in and helped the kids find answers to those questions and so our objective again was not to just give them answers but to teach them how to get answers themselves and we followed a very simple script we said first of all you write down the question Second thing is you go to the Bible, of course, as your ultimate source of truth. Third, you think critically and put this all together, synthesize the information from the Bible and logic and reason, and you write out what you think the answer is, and then you discuss it. You discuss it among other informed people who have the same objective, who can sharpen your thinking and trying to arrive at the truth together. And what I want to do today is cover some of the questions that we covered in that Q&A for a couple of reasons. One, to demonstrate and role model what this looks like, you know, getting answers to hard questions from the Bible. Two, you'll have some good answers to some tough questions that you might be wrestling with. And three, if you don't have a lot of youth that you're interacting with, it'll give you a kind of a sense of what kids in Portland these days are thinking. You know, what's bothering them? What are they wrestling with? All right, well, let's jump in. Question number one, when did the beginning of anything begin? What came before God? If God has always been, then how is that even possible? Because there has to be a beginning. And if there was a beginning of him, Then who came before that beginning? And it basically comes down to this. There's a faulty implied assumption in the question. There has to be a beginning. There has to be a first cause. Well, that's true for the material world, but not so in a biblical worldview. Now, why is that? If you draw a circle, a huge circle, and you say everything in the universe is in that circle. Well, what's outside that circle, according to the way the Bible describes reality, is God. God is not part of the created universe. He doesn't have to have a beginning. Even philosophically, there doesn't need to be a beginning for God. There needs to be a beginning for everything else, but not for God, because by nature, he's outside of that universe. So in summary, this question is really about philosophy 
It's about does everything need a beginning because everyone understands that the universe had to have a beginning. You can't get something from nothing when there was no force or action to produce that. It's not the same thing with God because the way the Bible describes it, God is outside of that created universe and he's the only thing or the only one who's like that. All right, question number two. How do you approach someone in an argument from a biblical foundation when the opposing party disregards the Bible, its values and its teachings, and consider it an obsolete document? Now, this is another great question, and it's something that kids are wrestling with every single day. They've got their pastors, their teachers, their parents who say, look, everything comes back to the Bible and it does. And they're like, great. Okay. So then they go out into the marketplace, into their schools and they're talking with someone and someone says, well, you know, what about this? And they say, well, the Bible says, and the person says, well, you know what? That doesn't work for me because I don't believe in the Bible. So what else do you have? And that person gets locked up and they're like, "Uh Oh, all of my training, my pastors and all these people who love me and they all say everything has to come to the Bible. So now when it doesn't, I'm stuck. Now, what we mentioned to this Bible class, before we give you the answer, let me just point something out. Christians don't always have to be on the defensive every time somebody makes an accusation. What I mean by that is, the accusation here is, well, the Bible is an obsolete document. Yeah, you know, Jesus never existed, or, you know, I don't believe in religion or, or any of that. Usually, the first response of a good Christian is they say, oh, I, I've got to go defend that position. I have to go prove to them why the Bible's not obsolete, why Christianity is true, what, and all these kinds of things. Well, hold on a second. History, facts, logic, reason, science, everything else that people trust and respect today is actually on your side. <laughs> so don't always take every accusation as a command to go run off and do all this work yourself. So if someone asked me this question, I would look at this and say, boy, that's a pretty big assertion that you think the Bible is an obsolete document, that you think Jesus wasn't real. Because I look at the last 2,000 years of culture and world history, and I see Christianity's mark on everything. Probably the simplest example is the calendar for the entire world is based on the birth date of Jesus. And then you look at art and history and science and engineering and math and education and everything else bears huge imprints of Christianity. To say it's an obsolete document is just ridiculous. One of my favorite books on this topic is by one of my favorite authors, J. Warner Wallace. It's called Person of Interest. Maybe we'll leave a link on our website. And he basically goes through all of the different parts of culture over the last couple of thousand years and shows how Christianity is just 
the number one influence and factor on just about everything that we know today. And so to make an accusation that, well, the Bible is just an obsolete document, it really is just foolishness. So the point there is push back on that person and say, actually, you know what? The burden of proof is on you. Why do you think it's an obsolete document? What proof do you have that Jesus didn't exist? What proof do you have that God isn't real? You don't need to be mean or a jerk. And usually people oftentimes, they're not interested in a conversation. They just kind of want to bully you. Just kind of turning the tables and saying, how about you prove your accusation? You're the one making a bold assertion. Why don't you try and prove that? Question number three. How do we know as Christians that our religion is the right one? There's thousands of religions out there who all think that theirs is the true one. Then how do we know that Christianity is really the true one? Great question. And I hope it's a question that everyone listening, I hope you've asked this question. Because to me, this is the first step in self-reflection, self-awareness. I should be saying, hey, wait a minute. Why do I think I'm right and everybody else is wrong? I mean, if, if everybody does that, there's never any conversation or communication about anything, just arrogance. And I think it's got a pretty simple answer. What Christianity describes is the best match for reality. I'll give you an example. Every person has a worldview views that they have about the world, the way they think about things, the way they see reality. Every person answers these three questions or tries to answer these questions because they feel like they need to be answered. Number one, where did everything come from? Number two, why does the world seem broken? Why does it seem like there's something wrong in the world? And number three, how does it get fixed? So how would Christianity answer these things. Well, Christianity would say, yeah, everybody's asking the question of where did everything come from? Because you look out at the beauty and complexity and diversity in nature and the universe and the cosmos, all the information embedded in all of this unbelievable creation around us. Where'd the information come from? No, evolution, the Big Bang, that doesn't explain where the information came from. Everybody knows those are empty answers. Those aren't scientific. Those aren't reasonable. They're not logical. They say it's too complex and beautiful a world to have come from nothing. Christianity says God, who's outside of that universe, he created it. He designed it for a purpose. He created it for us to enjoy and to bring him glory. Number two. Why does the world seem broken? Why is it that there's evil in the world and murder is wrong and stealing is wrong and all these things, when they look around at how people are treating people, they're like something's wrong. Now, if there's no God, and other religions answer this in certain ways, but what Christianity says is, yeah, the world's broken because of our sin because of our rebellion against God, because we don't want to follow his commands, the world is broken. And so it feels broken because it is. There's an absolute standard, a lawgiver, and we are breaking his laws. 
And then third, if that was the end of the story, people are like, that's terrible. What an unhappy ending. And some religions do that. They're like, and that's just, you know, pain and suffering. It's all it is. You know, Buddhism. Christianity says, and you know what? You feel like there ought to be a solution because there is a solution. The solution is Jesus Christ. Individually, we can each repent of our sins and be reconciled to the God who created us. When we do that, we are now adopted into his kingdom. We're now given a purpose and a mission to go and tell other people about the good news, to try and make the world a better place by loving each other and forgiving each other and exalting the name of God. I'm not going to go through all the other ways that religions answer those three questions, but there is no other religion that answers those three questions clearly, concisely, and consistently like Christianity does. So if you just go to anybody and say, great, you know, you have another religion. There's thousands of religions out there. How do you answer those three questions? No other religion has good answers. It becomes immediately obvious when someone tries to, to explain reality. So just reality doesn't match the worldview that that religion describes. This next one's a really big question, and I'm going to just give it a really short answer. It basically has to do with predestination. It goes something like this. Is God in control of all things? If so, do we really have free will? How does predestination work? This is a huge question. As long as I've been doing apologetics here in Portland the last you know, seven years, this is always on people's minds because it's a complex question and it's something that's meaningful. I'm not going to try and answer it here. This is meant to be a quick, you know, Q&A radio show. I'm just going to give you one thing to think about. There's a lot of good books out there wrestling through this. I'm going to say this. The Bible is really, really clear that people have free will. God commands us to make choices. God commands us to repent. God commands us to believe. That only makes sense in a world where you can make a choice. The Bible is also very, very clear that God is sovereign over all things. So what people try and do is they say, well, it's either I have a free will or God is sovereign. And the Bible is clear that it's both. Now, how do those two things exist in tension like that? Well, it's an interesting thing. If you're listening to this radio show, you're probably in a Western culture. And Western cultures, unfortunately, have a real difficult time with logic tension, things that they can't immediately resolve in their own mind. I've done a lot of traveling around the world, and a lot of Eastern cultures are just a lot more comfortable with it. They realize, you know what? We can't understand everything. The world's way more complex than we can ever just boil down to a simple rule, and they're okay with that. And so they tend to say, both and, no problem. Whereas the Western cultures say, it has to be either or. Which one is it? Free will or God's sovereignty? And the Bible says it's both. Anyway, I encourage you to think deeply about that. There's a lot of great resources out there. There's a lot of great resources on our website. You may not find a simple, satisfactory answer, and I hope that you can learn to be 
okay with that because not all things can be boiled down to a simple answer. All right, we got three more questions left. This next one says, do other religions which believe in Jesus go to heaven even if their teachings are different, like Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or Catholics? Okay, so that's the question. And what I would say is Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses, those are clearly cults because their doctrine doesn't agree with what Jesus himself said about himself. How they can claim to be Christian religions, I don't know. It's very clear. Jesus taught that he was God. Mormons do not believe that Jesus is God the way that it describes in the Bible. Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that Jesus was God the way he clearly described it in the Bible. So how can they call themselves Christian religions when they don't believe what Christ said about Christ? It's weird. I don't know. <laughs> but they're clearly cults because they don't believe what Jesus said about Jesus. This third one's interesting. Catholicism believes that Jesus was God. They follow the Bible and I want to be clear here to draw a distinction between Catholics and Catholicism. Personally, I know a lot of Catholics that are saved. Their faith is just as strong as mine. Several of them have a stronger faith, and they're closer to God than me. But Catholicism, the actual teaching of the church, does have some aspects that don't line up with what the Bible says. And the starkest one is how you're saved. And basically the Bible clearly describes that we are not saved by our works. We don't earn our salvation. It's a free gift of God. The actual Catholic doctrine says, no, you have to have works. Works aren't just a evidence that you are saved they are the way the means in which you are saved that's against the bible i would say a lot of catholics are saved but they're saved in spite of what catholicism teaches okay two more questions here's the next one what do you think about the modern perspective towards christians why is it so negative the answer here is, what do I think about it? I think that some of the bad reputation that Christians have is well-deserved. It's because we don't think the way that the Bible says to think, and we don't act the way the Bible says to act. There is so much confusion, so much garbage doctrine and theology in the church where people are just believing falsehoods. You know, the modern agenda on LGBT and critical race theory are just two that are just, in Portland specifically, just rampant. You cannot read the Bible and interpret it logically, consistently, and reasonably and arrive at those doctrines. And so what happens is people try to reconcile what the world teaches, which is false, 
with their faith and they end up in a weird spot and then they're no good to Christianity and they're no good to the world and they're just flopping around in the middle in this weird sense and they're trying to please everybody and end up pleasing nobody. So the first one is read your Bibles, think this stuff through, think logically, think consistently. Don't believe all this garbage that the world is teaching you because when you don't do that, when you try to compromise with the world, you just end up a train wreck. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, Christianity has a bad name. The pure, true message has been so diluted and obscured. The second thing is the Bible says we are supposed to be loving to our neighbors. We're supposed to be loving to those who disagree with us. We should be the ones out there initiating respectful, gentle, humble conversations. And unfortunately, we just don't. A lot of Christians ignore or disobey the clear commands of the Bible to love one another. And so I would say if Christians thought according to what the Bible says and acted according to what the Bible says, most of the problems that we have with a bad reputation in our culture would go away. But the fact is, we are not walking our talk. All right, last question. How can a Christian have assurance about their salvation? Again, this is probably most of the kids in youth groups and churches and being raised in Christian homes. They're asking this themselves. They're like, am I really a Christian? They're struggling with doubt because right now, everything in social media and the news, I mean, it is engineered to deconstruct a Christian's faith. It is engineered to cause them to have doubt and to forsake their faith in God. And so they're confused. And so they're like, man, I don't even know if I'm really saved. I got good news for you. If you are out there and you are wondering about evidence for your salvation, I have a recommendation. Read the book of 1 John, five chapters. And in the book, at the end of the book, John says, the reason I wrote this book, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He's basically saying, I wrote this book so that Christians can have assurance of their salvation. That's your book. Go study it. Go read it. Go read the whole thing. And in there, what you'll find is there are so many times where John says, this is how you know you've truly been saved. This is how you know you're a true Christian. But if this is something that you're struggling with, I really want to encourage you. You go read that book. You take the time to study and to write it down and pull out these verses that will give you the assurance. You'll find that there's three basic things. He'll say, one, you have belief. Two, you act in love. And three, you practice righteousness in your life. Let me just give you one example from the first chapter. It starts in verse five. He says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, but then walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus 
his son cleanses us from all of our sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Isn't that beautiful language? We know. How do we know that we're true Christians? We walk in the light. What's the opposite of that? We claim that we don't have any sin. So those are some really practical examples out of the book of 1 John where you can know that you have truly been saved. God's spirit truly lives in you and you have been made a new creation. Now, how about you today? Are you struggling with these questions? Are you afraid that if you look into the Bible and apply yourself to trying to find answers, that you're going to come up short, that there isn't going to be truth out there for you to find and for you to know. I want to encourage you. I have done this for years and helped dozens, if not hundreds of people do this very simple process of asking a question, voicing your doubt, getting that out into the open, and then searching the scriptures to find good answers to your hard questions. I want to encourage you to go to our website, theambassadorsforum.com. You can check out many of our helpful resources on our website. Finally, I want to thank you for joining us on the radio today. You can join us every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on True Talk 800 a.m. KPDQ. I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you.